I'm Robin Amler of IBS Intelligence. You're listening to the IBS iViews podcast. Artificial intelligence, AI, is a catch-all title for a range of technologies that automate work previously done manually. In the past, processes managing risky or valuable data were time-consuming and expensive. AI changes all that, but it does actually come with risks of its own. Castle Point Systems is a pioneer in information governance, risk and compliance as a service. Rachel Greaves, co-founder and CEO of Castle Point Systems, talks us through the importance of ethical AI. But first, do you want to access the multi-billion dollar fintech opportunity in the Middle East or India? If the answer is yes, then join the Cedar IBSI Fintech Lab and fast track your journey of market expansion with us. As a Fintech Lab member, you'll have access to skilled mentors and have the opportunity to learn, network, and collaborate with like-minded individuals, building your knowledge base, skills, and connections. Visit www.cedaribsifintechlab.com. Now, back to our conversation with Rachel Greaves, co-founder and CEO of Castle Point Systems. I think there's a common sense understanding of what ethical AI is, and then there's a fairly nuanced regulatory understanding of what it is. Are you telling me that regulators do not have common sense then? (laughs) Well, look, I have been working with regulators for a long time, and regulators have a different kind of sense to what I would call common sense. Sense all the same, though. We've had a concept for a long time of ethics with automated decision making and with algorithms. And that came into pretty sharp focus actually in the UK back in the 90s with the Horizon scandal, which you may or may not remember. It's also known as the Postmaster scandal. So what happened was a Fujitsu system, I believe, was developed that ran an algorithm And the algorithm incorrectly determined that many, many postmasters running little post offices were committing fraud and theft. And a lot of those people were bankrupted. They lost their jobs, obviously, and their business. Many suffered through emotional and personal turbulence as a result of that outcome. And it was later determined that the algorithm was incorrect and that had not been true in that case. And the real problem with the algorithm wasn't just that it was incorrect, but it was that it was um, obfuscated and there was no recourse for those individuals to argue with that algorithmic outcome. So we've known since the 90s that when we make bad decisions with automation and with algorithms, they can really cause a lot of harm. And a way to mitigate that harm is to be transparent about those algorithms so that people do have some recourse And they can actually understand and potentially argue with that algorithm if it turns out to be wrong. That's the ethical route you're talking about. Is this something that is now being enshrined in regulatory frameworks around the world? Yeah, it definitely is. So Australia, where I'm from and where my company is founded, was one of the first jurisdictions in the world to have voluntary principles and a code of ethics for artificial intelligence. And that code focused on obviously making sure we don't use AI to create the singularity and destroy humanity as we know it. That's a given. But also that when we use artificial intelligence of any kind, we make sure that the people who are affected have some recourse. So AI is supposed to be explainable. It's supposed to be transparent. It's supposed to be contestable. So those voluntary principles have been in place for a long time. But a couple of things more recently have created more of a legislative imperative 
for enshrining, as you say, those principles into law. So with the growth of what we call the fifth domain of warfare, with cyber becoming part of warfare between global nations, with conflict, obviously, in Europe, bringing that into sharper focus, and with the very kind of immediate and sort of frightening emergence of ChatGPT, things changed pretty quickly, almost overnight. So what we saw is the European Union draft an ethical AI law, swiftly followed by US, um, UK, New Zealand, Canada, and Australia recently too, to put these principles into regulation. One thing that strikes me straight away is that there is going to be a problem with the regulatory limits of ethical AI. But I can see on the other side of the coin that bad actors are not going to follow those rules. Bad actors are generally not known to be ethical. That said, there are bad actors that we would call, you know, traditionally hacktivists, you know, people who are motivated by ethics in protest. So not all bad actors are are people who are devoid of a moral compass, but more often than not, no, threat actors and bad actors don't care about your ethics and they don't care who they harm along the way. But responsible governments should and they must because when we make mistakes with information particularly and with decisions about information, we can cause really significant and sometimes catastrophic harm at a population level as well as an individual level. So it's really important to get this right. But it's hard because most of the artificial intelligence that's already grown into prominence and been adopted around the world is not ethical AI. It's what we would call closed box AI or what you might have heard called black box AI. It's not visible. You can't look inside it and understand how it works, which means, of course, you can't explain it and you can't contest it. Okay, let's try to put a slightly lighter spin on things now and move from the apocalyptic to the less apocalyptic usages of AI and go back to our starting point. Financial institutions, how do they use AI to manage risk and their data flows? There's a couple of kinds of risk that financial institutions need to be thinking of with adopting AI. Number one is obviously their responsibility, their corporate social responsibility to the community. So financial institutions hold a lot of our sensitive information and they hold it pretty much hostage. Um, We have to participate as individuals with financial institutions and we have to give over our personal information and our sensitive information in order to participate in that process. So, you know, they've really got us, the banks, And they need to be responsible with looking after our information. So that's a view from, you know, a human perspective. But the other kinds of risk really come down to bottom line. And there's two ways that your bottom line can be harmed by misuse or ineffective use of AI. Number one is breaches. So failing to manage information properly can have a very significant cost, which is not good when you're, you know, an institution motivated by profit. But the other way is to not maximise the value of the information that you do have already. So we have a lot of data. We have terabytes, petabytes of data, and we generate more and more of it every day. And now thanks to ChatGPT, we generate it at an even faster rate than we ever have before. And we should be using that information. We should be reusing that information and re-monetizing that information. And if you fail to adopt AI, which is frankly the only tool we have at our disposal to manage data at this scale effectively, then you fail to get the most benefit 
that you can out of the data that you hold. So, you know, we, we think of data a bit like uranium. It's very, very powerful. It's a very important resource, but it's a risky resource and it has a half-life. So the longer we hold on to it and don't use it, the more at risk we become by holding on to that data. Why would you become more at risk? I can see if you hold on to it and don't use it, that it, it goes off in a sense, in that information changes, people change, the information about people changes. So if you hold on to data that's old or getting older, it's not mm. going to be as valuable. But mm. there's another issue it you're referring to. That's right. It isn't as valuable um, when it stops being as accurate, but it's more dangerous. So think about this example. So in 2018, my university, the Australian National University, was breached by a foreign state actor. That breach was inevitable. An email was sent that you didn't even have to click on the email and it let the malware into the environment. So that was an inevitable breach. But what happened then was that that foreign state actor exfiltrated 19 years' worth of staff and student records that were still inside the environment, and that included my record. So now that foreign state actor has all my, you know, my tax file number and all my personal information. And I'm now the founder of a cybersecurity company that works closely with the government in a nation that, you know, obviously is not a simpatico with this foreign state actor. But I had graduated about 15 years before that breach. And my record only needed to be kept for seven years legally. So by holding on to it for all that extra time, the size of that breach and the impact of that breach was much, much greater than it should have been by rights. In fact, it was 60% bigger than it should have been by rights. So when we manage risk, we think about likelihood and impact, right? So uh, for a long time, cybersecurity has focused on reducing the likelihood of a breach to try to keep those threat actors out. But we we have to realise now that it's not possible to keep them out forever. It's just, it's inevitable that we will be breached. What we need to do is reduce the impact of an inevitable breach. And the way we do that is data minimization. Know what we have, where it is and what it's about. And importantly, know what laws apply to it. Because when we can apply laws about retention, we can start to dispose of things that no longer have continuing value. They're not giving us any benefit, but do have inherent risk. So that when we do get breached, which we will, the breach is as small in impact as it could possibly be. Interesting point. I've often said to people there are two types of company in the world, those that have been breached and those that don't know they've been breached. That's right. We all will be breached. Even, you know, we're a cybersecurity company. We've got very strong um, security culture and policies and practices. But we, you know, my one of my senior staff had his laptop stolen by professional bag thieves in London the other day. And luckily, he followed our procedures, right? The laptop was switched off. It's encrypted when it's at rest. There was no way for them to access any data through that laptop. But it shows just how close you can come. You're really just a whisker away from being compromised in some way, no matter what you do and, and how hard you try. So that's why it's so important to know your data and know the risk and keep it as minimal as possible. I was going to say, you've got to follow procedure and a lot of data breaches occur because people haven't followed procedure. Yeah, a lot of the time it's an accident. You know, the, the threat actors don't have to work that hard because a lot of the time we compromise ourselves without realising it. And that's why we have to recognise that breaches are just inevitable. There's always insider threat, whether that's, a you know, a 
a disgruntled employee, a trusted insider that can be exploited, or it's just someone making a mistake, as all humans do. Most uh, vulnerabilities are zero day. They don't have a patch. So it's really just a matter of time until you get breached. And we see the legislative environment changing to acknowledge this now as well. We'll see governments saying that breaches are inevitable and the steps that need to be taken are not just focused on prevention anymore. Mitigation as well. Correct. So this is all, how can I put this, quite depressing at one level. Is there anything we we can say that it is perhaps a more cheerful note on on which to start drawing to a close is is there light at the yeah. end of the tunnel that is not the on really yeah it really is and it's it's artificial intelligence so i'm the first person to tell people that ai is risky right so obviously we can get bad and unintended and unexpected and perverse outcomes when we use ai the wrong way threat actors can use ai to great effect to do things at a scale they couldn't do before there's a lot of risks with artificial intelligence but think of some of the benefits. You know, some of the things that that we've been able to do, we reduced the effort cost of one organization doing subject access requests from 400,000 in human effort every year to less than $10,000 in human effort every year. You know, 98% cost saving. And that's important because when you can't find information in a timely way for people who need it, those people have bad outcomes. So AI can make things discoverable at a speed that's never been possible before. And that's important because, you know, without getting too morbid again, an inquiry found that the Manchester bombing would have been prevented if the system holding the data was more discoverable. There are 400 pieces of missed information in that policing database that if they'd been found could have prevented that attack So with AI, you know, another thing that we did recently is we found uh, using our AI about 60,000 flags of child abuse in a child protection database that hadn't been discovered and reported on. The kind of impacts you can make that are positive are very, very strong because with artificial intelligence, we can finally take all those terabytes of data, which have billions and billions of individual words in them, more words than any human being or any cohort of human beings could ever read in their lifetime and make them all discoverable and make them all compliant and auditable and reusable. And there's so much power you can get when you can do that if you can do it carefully and if you can do it ethically. And the one word that you didn't mention just then, but you have used earlier on, transparently. That's right. It's very important that anyone you're interacting with when you've used artificial intelligence knows that AI was part of the process of your decision-making. Because we all need to be aware and cognizant. AI is more and more a part of the everyday and it's more and more invisible. AI is probably taking my wrinkles away on this Zoom call right now <laughs> without my request or explicit consent. It's well, just I hope it's in. taking mine away. <laughs> well, who knows? I'll have to see you in person. But we can use AI in the right way, but we have to be clear when we're using it because it's it's different to people. And AI is not a person. It can't reason, it can't make discretionary decisions, it can't make good or bad decisions. It's just an algorithm at really massive scale. So we need to let people do what people are good at, which is make decisions and think and do higher order processes. And we need to use AI as the tool that it is to do the grunt work of reading everything, registering everything, mapping all of the rules, things humans aren't so good at. 
And if we can do those two things together, then we can elevate the outcomes that individual people are able to produce. Rachel Greaves, co-founder and CEO of Castle Point Systems.